Welcome to Ways of Doing, How Women Work in Photography, a fast-forward podcast series. I'm Anna Fox, a photographer and professor of photography at University for the Creative Arts in Farnham, and I created Fast Forward with Karen Knorr in 2013 to promote and engage with women in photography across the globe. And I'm Maria Kapaeva. I'm an artist and I have been working with Anna as a project manager on a Fast Forward since its start. And in this latest mini-series, we've been talking to women photographers as well as people from the industry about the different ways of working in photography. These conversations gives us some insights into how to make a living or how to subsidize and sustain a photography practice. As you're here, there are many ways of doing. We both work as artists and have been exhibiting and publishing our work for some time now, and I have some experience of working with commercial galleries to sell my work. It's a complicated business, and much of the workings of this commercial arena are hidden. In my own experience, the most important aspect of having a gallery to represent my work is the way that they might promote the work to the wider world, particularly to museums, to get me into major group shows and into important collections. A gallery can really help to give you a strong profile and to develop your career as an artist. Someone who makes her own projects alongside her commercial commissions is Alice Tomlinson, a London-based photographer who works on long-term research-based projects, exploring themes of identity, ritual and tradition. As photographers, we all find different ways to fund our practice and our lives, so I was intrigued to understand how she manages her work. Yeah, I think it's the kind of perennially difficult question and it's something that I struggle with and most photographers and artists struggle with trying to get some balance I mean for decades really I worked as a commercial photographer and through that I did mainly work for magazines so editorial work I did a lot of the time out travel guides I did a lot of work for design agencies a bit of ad agency work but then about six or seven years ago I felt like I was really falling out of love with photography and that was a great sadness to me. So that was when I decided to move my practice more over towards focusing on my personal work. So it is very difficult. I mean, I do bits of teaching. I'm a kind of WEX ambassador this year, so that brings in a little bit of income. I have been lucky that I won some competitions that had some prize money, but of course that's not you know, going to give me a pension in 30 years' time. I still do commercial work. Most photographers I know do a range of different bits of work it's about having to be flexible and I suppose kind of pivot towards different areas of the industry in order to survive I have got a gallery you know ideally I would love to be able to make a living through print sales but that is fairly unrealistic as well it's kind of juggling different heads juggling different ways of working and the main thing is trying to sustain a living and be able to make the work I really want to make You say um, you almost fell out of love with photography doing the commercial and editorial jobs. Can you tell us a bit about how different that world is to when you do your own personal work? In some ways, it's easier in a sense because you're working to deadlines, you're working to a brief, you're often working with a crew. And once the work is done, that's pretty much it. 
But it is a very, obviously, a very competitive world, as is the art world. But I did find that I just began to lack kind of fulfilment in those jobs. I mean, in the early years when I was in my 20s and I was doing lots of travel guides, it was incredibly exciting because I was getting to experience different cities and going off very kind of independently. I had to be very organised and resourceful. And interestingly, I think all that actually has fed into my personal projects now. I suppose I just wanted more kind of control over my output in lots of ways. And also clients were demanding digital, which isn't a way I naturally really want to work in. So I was spending endless hours, you know, retouching skin and looking through thousands of files. And it felt a little bit empty to me. Were there any issues being a woman working in the world of commerce and editorial photography? Yes, to a degree. I've not really worked very, very widely in advertising photography. So I think that is still, from what I gather, the most challenging arena for female photographers to work in, in terms of the commercial photography world. Sometimes, you know, when I remember when I was trying to break into the world and I was often dismissed in terms of assisting, a lot of male photographers assumed I wouldn't be able to, like, carry the kit, for instance, so I was missing out on jobs there. In terms of editorial, I think actually sometimes being a woman worked in my favour in terms of picture editors, you know, perhaps thinking you might have more empathy or sensitivity towards certain subject matters. I don't necessarily think that's the case. I wasn't really in this big, macho, kind of moneyed world where I think there is still an awful lot of discrimination and and sexism. Do you think there are ways of changing that? Because in a way, it's a bit of a shame, isn't it, that we can't get into that world if we want to. I've spoken to male photographers who've said that they've only had to do one or two jobs a year and that will sustain the whole of their personal practice and their life. Oh, it's incredibly lucrative, yeah. I mean, there are photographers I know, male and female, though mostly male, who will do jobs that give them 20, 30 grand for a few days, you know. From a logistical sense, I think, yes, wouldn't it be amazing to do two big commercial jobs a year? But I also know it's a world where you have to really want it and you want to have to be in that world and you have to be very persistent in terms of building relationships with art buyers and agents and that kind of stuff. Do you find the business of the art world more refreshing? I feel like I'm still learning. They're still quite alien to me, I suppose, these worlds and and the art world still is to a degree. I mean, I feel that I have some level of understanding because my gallery, Hackleberry, who are based in Kensington, are very supportive they're pretty transparent about everything but it is transactional you know it's, it's it's a business and the art of selling of course it's a huge business it's commerce and you could argue that it's not so different from the advertising world but in terms of how the art world operates much of it is still a mystery to me and when you work with assistants and team do you manage to get an equal gender balance with your team in terms of my personal projects i often naturally lean towards having a female assistant because I think some of the subject matters I'm tackling I just feel more comfortable at times having another woman there it can be quite lonely I mean I'm pretty independent I don't mind going to cities I don't know on my own I can figure out my way around I can try and pick up bits of the language I don't mind eating out in you know a cheap noodle bar on my own or I'm not someone who has to be around other people all the time but for pure camaraderie and um, being able to discuss how the day's gone and that kind of thing I do like working with someone for kind of moral support really bouncing ideas off each other if I can afford it I will work with an assistant because I just think that 
often two minds and approaches can be kind of better than one. They're kind of an assistant, but they also end up being a friend and a colleague and a confidant. And, you know, they kind of end up taking on all these roles. It always interests me that a lot of guys really sort of push this idea of being the lone man on the road. I can't actually believe they like it. (laughs) I can kind of see the appeal of that, but not for too long. I think a week or two on purely on my own is probably enough for me. But also when I do work on my own, I am often also doing portraits. So I am getting that human interaction in other ways. But yeah, I I think it depends on the subject matter. Landscapes I quite enjoy doing on my own because I do begin to feel this kind of connection with nature and being on your own in nature which is there's something very kind of satisfying about that what made you get interested in photography originally my undergraduate my BA was English literature and communications at Leeds and then when I was at university in Leeds I did this funny kind of city and guilds course at the local college they had a great dark room so I used to spend a lot of time in the dark room and and technically it taught me a lot so I did that and then I also started working for the student paper so that's when I really started developing my interest in photography and then I later studied at Central St Martins I did a year course in professional photography practice and then more recently I did an MA in Anthropology of Travel Tourism and Pilgrimage at SOAS. So all those things obviously contribute to both photography and your thematic interests. For me, everything feeds into everything. It's really important to be open to everything around you. I like to kind of think that it's really been years of being observant and curious and trying to learn that have fed into my work overall. I've always kind of maintained that if you have good ideas and you carry out your ideas in a way that is able to communicate some form of emotion or empathy and that people can resonate with that, that will give your project some kind of depth. And I think that that's something that actually, as women particularly, we can be very good at employing in our work. And I think it's something that we should kind of lean on in a way. It's really important to find a balance between commercial work and personal work, and this is often quite difficult. Each avenue demands a very different approach, so you have to keep them quite separate, or most photographers do. For commercial work, you need to be readily available a lot of the time, and you usually have to solve a problem or a design issue very quickly. In personal practice, you need to leave more time for research and development, both at the start and at the finish of the project. Yeah, and I spoke to French-Moroccan photographer Carole Benita, who has taken a very different path. She has always worked as an artist rather than a commercial photographer and began her photography as a second career. Her journey really demonstrates the strength of network resulting in a successful gallery representation and being able to sell her work to collectors and museums. So I start photographing in early 2000. I took one year off and to occupy my time, I started to take photographs of my family and it became something I was more and more interested. So since 2000, I'm developing um, a work on family and the passage of time. And since uh, 2009, I started to intervene in photographies that I doesn't make. So in family archives or anonymous archives or picture I bought in flea market or in uh, bank images. So in, in the beginnings, I made a um, subject about life with my son. And during this period, 
I came through uh, difficult ordeals and I wanted just to understand why uh, it was so difficult for me. Uh, one day, I don't know why, I have the feeling that the answer was in my family archive. So I dig in boxes of photographs and I uh, look at my childhood pictures and suddenly I was looking at something else. I just think about how I can translate my feeling. I just wanted to use embroidery because my previous occupation, I was a fashion designer and for me it's the work of women. I came from a background where we used to learn how to sew and how to embroider to take care of the clothes of the family and to take care of the house. It was not intentional in the beginning to change my occupation. It was just, uh, how can I say, le, the surprise of life. I don't know, maybe I just found that photography was more magic than life. The colors were just wonderful and I feel like it's better than life. <laughs> A lot of your images you use from the family album, so they are quite intimate, personal, and at the same time you create work which of course a lot of people resonate. But how you feel that your family photographs in your new form goes to someone else, like houses, collections, and they exist somewhere else? The first work I used my family archive was the series Photo Souvenir. And I try to deconstruct the myth of, you know, a happy family. I didn't ask for any permission to use the pictures and I had no problem with them. I think they understand that it was an art project just to understand that, that I have something to say that was uh, universal. When you kind of started your career, that shift from fashion to like photography, art practice, how you sustain your practice? Did you have a job or it was immediately sales or what was it? <laughs> it's a personal question. Back then I was divorced and my luck was um, I had a good alimony. <laughs> so I don't need to work. So for 10 years I didn't work. After two years in an art school, I just applied for, you know, uh, Les Voix Off in Arles and I was selected. So I met people and I started to go to festival to meet people. And then I started to sell little by little my work. And then in 2008, I had my first gallery. And then in 2009, I met the Galerie 127 in Marrakech and we had a very fruitful collaboration during 12 years. I started to show my work in Paris Photo for the first time and then we did several fairs together so she started to sell the work in her gallery. You know it came little by little. One day someone proposed my work for Prix Nieps. I was not selected, but among the jury a gallery in Paris, Esther Volerov fell in love with my work and we worked together. Also, I met the gallery in New York because I was going to Photofest in Houston. 
So we met together in a, an opening. As she was speaking in French, we started to, to speak together and we exchanged our email address. And then one day she, she sent me an email. I love very much your work. Is it possible to meet up in Arles? So, okay. So, and we started to collaborate together. So, you know, you just have to, to work, to show your work, to apply for contest, for grant. And one day, something happened. With the first gallery, who approached who, how it happened? Because that's what usually the hardest part for the artist who not represented by anyone yet. Yes, it was a friend of mine. The gallery was one of her collectors. My friend proposed my work. Most of the time, it's your network who introduces you the right person or... And for the second one, for the Gallery 127 in Marrakech, a friend of mine went to Marrakech and met Nathalie Locatelli, who was a gallery owner. And they were talking about a Moroccan photographer. And I was born in Morocco, so she told her, oh, you know, I have a very good friend of mine. She's from Morocco. And she told her, I'm working with um, someone who make a thesis about photography in Morocco. And when she saw my work, she proposed me to show my work in Paris Photo. You don't know where it goes. It's like the, the tide of the, of the sea. My first sale to a museum, it was in the Museum of Fahrenheit, Houston. It was a friend of mine who was in the board of Museum of Fine Art, Houston, who proposed my work. And my first big collector, Marin Karmitz, the cinema producer, So, and it was a friend of mine who was a journalist. She interviewed him and she met him in, in Paris Photo when I was showing my work and she invited him to see my work and he just fell in love with my work. So, you know, it's always uh, about connection. I'm not doing everything just by myself. It's impossible. It's like if you want to build a house, you need a lot of people to help you. Do you have sort of any recommendations to other artists especially who just started their careers in terms of how to sustain their practice what would be the main things you should pay attention of course the first thing you have to have a good work because there is a lot of people out there and you have to do something really singular that only you can tell the things this way so from our conversation i understand that networking is very key in that kind of building your career how to extend your network what to do yes you know in the beginning it was something really new for me i, I knew no one so it's little by little i start to attend some workshops so i met some friend among you know the participants and then I started to go to Arles to see some exhibition and to show my work then you submit your work to some contest and sometimes you are chosen so you can show your work so it, you know it's a process it takes eight years to build first a body of work that it is good and then almost the same amount of years to build a name it's a very long process except if you are very lucky but It's a long process. 
building that network is key and not only connecting with people within the photography industry, but having a wide reaching network can, as Carol spoke about, open all sorts of doors. She was lucky to have a gallery representing her from quite early on in her artistic career. Her first gallery was a stepping stone to a seven year relationship with her second gallery. I've been represented by James Hyman and have worked with him since 2010. It's been an incredibly valuable experience and it's really put me into a different place with my own work. Especially, I think, connecting with museums across the world. Most recently, I was included in a group show in the National Gallery of Art in Washington, D.C., which was all negotiated by James Hyman. Since I recorded this interview with James Hyman, he's closed his commercial gallery in Maddox Street and reopened as the Centre for British Photography in German Street. The centre is a registered charity. He still maintains his print selling operations and I'm still represented by him and all the profits from print sales go back into the centre. So this interview is based very much on how he was working from the James Hyman Gallery in Maddox Street. I'm an art dealer I've got two businesses. One is in uh, mainly paintings, mainly British, and the other is in photography, which is more international. And as well as that, we collect photography, particularly uh, British photography. And we started showing photographers at the gallery about 10, 15 years ago. And we've had a programme that's always had quite an emphasis on women working in photography. But it's a mixed programme, so it's not specifically supporting women but it has had that bias over the years. So I'm aware that, as you say, over the years, you have made a special effort to look at women photographers, to include them in your shows, to represent them and to collect them for the Hyman Collection, which belongs to yourself and Claire Hyman. I'm wondering why you decided to do that. Do you see there's a bit of an issue for women photographers? I think when you look back over a period... Sometimes things can look more deliberate than they are, and often it's very much to do with chance. The first sort of major photography show we did was of Linda McCartney. This was on the 10th anniversary of her death, and it was curated by myself uh, with Paul McCartney. So that was incredibly exciting, but also very high profile. And after that, we started developing our photography programme. And the person who uh, came in to uh, help me with that was Christiana Monarchy. She's now well known for a photo monitor. And the people that she suggested, without us ever having had a conversation about it, it turned out that nearly the whole programme was by women photographers and very international. And that started to ally with one of the areas that we were collecting in. So, for example, in 2010, I think it was, we were one of the first people to collect Zanelli Maholi's work. So I think at that point... It was very much, you know, to do with supporting women in photography without it really being a conscious decision. It just sort of happened that a lot of the issues that we were interested in and the photographers that we admired were women. I think there are people who get a real kick out of selling. There are people who are natural salespeople. That's what gets them up in the morning. That isn't what motivates me. I'm much more excited by discovering an artist researching an artist, meeting an artist, thinking about collecting that artist. It's a relationship, so it's about developing a knowledge of the work, but also uh, a connection with the maker. So for me, that's what's exciting, is the people and the artworks. And so collecting is, I think, much more exciting than selling. 
When I first graduated from Farnham in the mid-1980s, we hadn't been educated about the idea of selling photographs in an art marketplace. And in fact, when I looked around, I didn't see any photography in those spaces, and I certainly didn't see any women photographers in those spaces. Why do you think it's been slower for women to get taken up in that marketplace? I think one of the points is about the whole marketplace, so it's not specific to women working in photography. You know, there's been historically an imbalance between men and women uh, artists. There's an amazing story I was told when I was researching my PhD, which was on British art in the 1940s and 50s, that the very, very revered head of the uh, Slade School of Art, uh, William Coldstream in the 1950s, once said the reason that he liked having women studying at Slade is that because they were artists, they would make good wives for artists because they understood what it was like to be an artist. Uh, I think in this country, when we look at the photography side, first of all, there's a lack of photography galleries. And then you've got to think as a dealer what people may want to buy. And in some ways, I've done it the wrong way around because I've started with what do I like and then have tried to spread the word and try and get other people enthused about what I believe in. You know, the auction houses don't have a responsibility towards building an artist's career. All they have a responsibility to is their numbers, how well a sale is done. So an auction house is not trying to build a market, it's very much following a market. If it's a dealer, hopefully what they're also doing is saying, these are the people I believe in, and so they make choices accordingly. So for better or worse, the photographers that we've shown have been people that I am passionate about and really believe in and think should have a platform and think should be exhibited and brought to art fairs. Fortunately, that's led to us placing works in museums. But there may be a difference between the sorts of photographers who museums are buying and those that maybe a general audience is uh, wanting to buy for their homes. You know, there are different markets. Is there anything you can think that women could do to help change this situation which is kind of prejudice against them in a way for all sorts of reasons? I don't know if it's something for women to do and I'm not sure I should be saying what women ought to be getting up to <laughs> but I do think we're in a very interesting moment. Issues around representation are much more to the fore and whether that's about diversifying programmes, whether that's about supporting women. So I think it's a very interesting moment to seize because I think people are more receptive to supporting areas that they've neglected than maybe they've been ever before. So I think things are shifting. When I'm teaching um, students of photography, you know, you often find that the commercial art world is very, almost secret. It's very hard for people to find out about it. And it strikes me, talking to you like this, that really every commercial gallery is going to be different and it'll be different because whoever is directing or owning that space will be doing something in their particular and quite personal way. So I think what they need to understand as students if they're going into a gallery, they are businesses. This is the way I pay my bills. This is the way I pay my mortgage. You know, I need to make money. This is how I do it. But a good gallery should be dealing in what they believe in. And so hopefully the two things align that you can be promoting, exhibiting and selling what you really believe in. That's the dream. 
you know, you talk to the, the, the director of the gallery, you talk to the people who work there, you get a sense of whether they are committed to the kind of work they're showing. If you're a student and you want to talk to a dealer during an art fair, you're not going to get very far because it's very high pressure to sell work. It's very expensive to do a fair. You're trying to meet new collectors, you're trying to meet museum people. And actually you don't particularly want to have those conversations with students. But if it's a, a, a quiet afternoon at the gallery, that's great. I love doing that. You know, it's just a time and place. You've got to demonstrate that you've done some research, that you've got some respect for the person that you're talking to. And thinking about the, the right time and the right moment to be making approaches. And how to do it. You know, is it effective to send an email out? Or is it more effective to try and make an appointment? We get a lot of emails because emails are essentially free. So people can just send out loads and loads. And the analogy I'd use is about analog versus digital photography. If you know you've only got a few frames, you're going to think about every frame. If you're digital and you can just go click, 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 and none of them have cost you anything, basically, then you can be indiscriminate. But when it comes to actually looking for work or representation, just be strategic, be focused, think analog, not digital. So it's clearly important how you approach a gallery. Building your network is key to this. Going to the galleries that interest you and starting a conversation with them. It's a slow developing business and you have to start thinking of how you're going to make this relationship and then continue it. Speaking to other photographers and artists could also help you. Learning how they've created their relationships with galleries. And sometimes even that photographer or that artist might recommend you to their gallery. We also spoke to Hannah Watson, who's both a gallerist and a publisher. She's the director of TJ Bolting and of Trolley Books, and I think she's one of the only women directing a photography publishing company in the UK. Maria and I worked with Hannah on our book, Putting Ourselves in the Picture, about the refugee and migrant experience in the UK. We're interested to hear how Hannah supports women in photography and how she manages these two businesses. I work pretty much on my own doing both so I kind of move between representing artists curating exhibitions and also making books. Trolley's got a reputation for doing quite socially minded photography which stems from Gigi who started Trolley and he was really political. I started working with him in 2005 and then we started the gallery together in 2011 and then he died a year later so I'm kind of starting off where he left with Trolley, like the legacy of that, and carrying on in my own way, but also on the gallery that we started together. I know you represent quite a number of women photographers and artists and probably have published a good number as well. Do you have a special commitment to women photographers? It's not a conscious thing. I'd say it's inevitable. I do work with men as well, but I think it's quite natural for me to be drawn to working with women photographers in representation that it's all women wow. but it's not just photography it's you know painters and sculptors as well in the publishing side yeah more men so I don't know it depends on the project I don't differentiate but I think it just naturally falls into working with women I enjoy working with women as well the dynamics really really easy and nice and the conversations that you get between the photographer, the designer. I always like working with female designers, if I can. I think women listen to each other more when we're talking about 
creative decisions. And I wondered if there were any particular problems you thought women might have in an art marketplace trying to sell their work. I think the biggest problem that women have is confidence. And I think that just in terms of seeing how men and women operate, a lot of the time men have no qualms about putting themselves forward, just feeling that they can do it, they can sell it, they, there's no self-doubt. Women are a lot more reticent. So my job a lot of the time is to be the pushy person. It's definitely a confidence thing. Women just don't naturally push themselves as much as they should do. But I think that when you join forces, then you become more empowered, more confident, and things happen. Do you think that's because of the way we've been brought up? Yeah, and I think it's quite innate as well. I think women just naturally are more self-deprecating or less confident. I don't know what it is. Like So many female artists at art school, but then they leave and they don't become artists. And then obviously... As career progresses, then you have the the children question about women taking time out for their career. I don't know, it feels two steps forward, one step back a lot of the time. It's just a momentum as well, isn't it? You get to a certain point in your career and then it's not just, you know, the markets, like things like residencies and being able to take time and travel and it kind of permeates every aspect of your career. Mm. And galleries might worry of you know she's going to disappear for a few years and she might not come back and then you have one child and then oh no you might have two and then that's like five years gone and by that point the male counterparts are you know leaps and bounds getting their mid-career retrospective at the age of 40. But what do you think could be done about this? I mean it's quite interesting when you see women let's say like Justin Curland and Sean Davey who've made work around, Mm. you know, their family commitments, let's say. How should we change the system so that uh, women are enabled to have the time that they need? I don't know. It's hard. I mean, it needs financial input because a lot of it comes down to childcare. And there's some galleries that will say that they will support childcare for their artists, but I don't think it's a prevalent thing because I'm quite small and I don't have huge resources. I'm just there in a kind of moral support way. But I'm not like a big blue chip. I think if you're a big blue chip and you're making hundreds of thousands, millions, you can afford to do it. So does women's work sell well? (laughs) Or is it more difficult to sell? Work by women or work about women's work? Work by women and then work by women that's concerned with women's issues. So, for example, one of the artists I work with, Caroline Walker, she's always does paintings about women at work and they're doing really well like she's got a lot of success recently auctioned I think one of her paintings nearly sold for a million the other day you know it's figurative painting but it's always been about women at work so I'd say yes there's examples of it working and women in general there's a lot of focus now on on women artists is it here to stay or is it just a kind of hot right now thing we'll see but there's a lot of kind of big more fundamental changes happening in the way that museums are looking at their collections and their programming so that's positive i know you've said that you see yourself not only representing people and selling their work so you're doing the business for them but you see yourself as encouraging them do you think peer-to-peer women work well together or do you think it's difficult in a patriarchal society for women to successfully support each other? 
there is a lot of support but also I think that maybe it's not a gendered thing but there's a lot of competition in careers anyway whether you're male or female sometimes I don't think it's even to do with women not supporting women you know what Madeleine Albright said there's a special place in hell for women that don't support other women which I always remember I have a mailing list of women it's up to nearly 300 now and I think of events I like to do and I just send it out to everyone you know you don't pay to be part of it it's much more informal than that and not organized because also I don't want that responsibility either I don't want it to be so you thing. just decide to go somewhere I and decide, invite people yeah I decide this is a good event and then I organize it and then I invite people it's a way to kind of chat and network but in a very kind of more relaxed manner some of these women's groups can be quite intimidating and quite unpleasant I think <laughs> so it's designed to be very open and relaxed and warm and nice and hopefully it is someone asked oh can I bring my boyfriend and I was like no because as soon as you get one man in it the dynamic totally changes you said and I want to know what you meant often groups of women can be intimidating you know we've all seen mean girls it's that you know school mentality groups of women can be quite intimidating for you they all know each other it's not easy to walk into room sometimes when there's maybe friendship groups that already exist so I always make an effort if I see people that maybe don't know someone just to go and talk to them and just be friendly because it you know it can be intimidating supportive women's group can be really empowering and then it just has to be that kind of balance between that and excluding people. I often feel that women have to fight harder in that world to be successful yeah. and, and, and consequently become harder for it, if you like, yeah. and women at the top in particular. I still think, as we said earlier, this innate thing, is it nature or nurture for women to be able to assert themselves, be strong, just giving confidence to women is going to help. So I don't know about you, Maria, but for me, it's been an interesting journey to go through making my work and finding out how to make a living from my work. And, and I don't I don't completely make a living from my work. I do teaching work as well. But it took me a long time to build up to connecting to a gallery. And I was helped by Karen Knorr, who introduced me to James Hyman in 2010, when I was uh, shortlisted for the Deutsche Börse Prize. So it was a, a good point in my career to be noticed. Uh, I think it's really, really hard to find your way into galleries. And I don't think it's always necessary for everyone. I don't know what your experience or your thoughts about how you're developing things in that direction. Well, um, I'm actually not represented by any of the gallery, but sometimes I think I would like to. But it's also, it needs to uh, fit sort of what the gallery does, who they represent and what work they interest in, fit to what I'm interested in, what I'm doing. So it will be fruitful collaboration then. What I find this quite important, and a few of our guests highlighted, is the network and building up the network and relationship. And it can be relationship with the other peers and artists, who can support you and as in your case with Karen or even like promote you and introduce you to some uh, important people. Also kind of relationship with curators or other professionals, critics in the art world. 
And quite often you can end up like working for a few years on different projects with the same people if the collaboration was successful. I was really appreciated that our guest was talking about it in a different context and um, from different perspectives. And of course, this networking build up through the time. So you need to be a bit patient with that. Yeah, it's so important, isn't it? This time factor, because you don't get discovered in a minute. One has to do this kind of slow networking business. And I, I have to say also that I think we've discovered that working on the Fast Forward project has been quite helpful because we've built a whole new network through Fast Forward and we hope that's shared with other people. Yes, and in the final episode of this mini-series, we'll hear from three photographers about how they sustain their practice through commissions, commercial work and grants. This podcast mini-series was hosted by Anna Fox and Maria Kapaiva, funded by a Knowledge Exchange grant from University for the Creative Arts. Audio production by Lucia Scatzocchio from Social Broadcasts. Thank you so much to all our contributors. <laughs>